The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Jasper Singh. Jasper, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, thanks for having me, Jarvis. All right, perfect. Well, thank you for accepting this invitation. And uh, we love to start every show with positive affirmations, really to get that momentum going. So I love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it apl- uh, appeals to you, excuse me, and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if other guests have told you this, but I feel like, you know, with your, all your work and quality, you probably have a lot of experience with experience. Um, but I think one, I think lesson that was hard for me to swallow initially, as a physician, you're oftentimes taught to do things individually. But I think the famous proverb of, if you want to go faster, go alone, but if you want to go further, go together. And I think that's one thing I've really taken home, taken to heart in the last decade or so, trying to really making sure that the whole village is involved in anything I do. All right, wonderful. And I, I appreciate that. I know many of our listeners will appreciate it too, because to your point, um, you know, when we're talking about the work we're doing in quality improvement, we're not doing it alone. Many times we're trying to do it with folks that don't even report to us. So we have to learn how to pull that village together with it. So love that mindset. Oh, thank you. So- Let's move to the next question, and I would love um, if you can share with our quality people, Jasper, the um, intro to you, all things that got you pulled into the current work that you're leading, your current role, professional background, but really, you know, I'll have to share as I kind of lead into this question, we only just connected a few days ago, and, and here we are having a conversation, but your profile on LinkedIn really just inspired me to reach out. So um, I'm really personally kind of geeking out to learn the story of what got a doctor into the world of quality improvement and innovation. Well, it's it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it very short and brief, (laughs) I guess. So my current role is actually, I kind of wear two hats or for our visual people today, uh, two turbans I wear, uh, essentially. My main, my one is in in the cancer work where I'm the medical director of quality in pulmonary oncology. So I do a lot of work. I'm a pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine physician, board certified. I practice clinically. Um, and so I'm very busy clinically, but on the same token, I'm really interested in how people, how we take care of patients with potential thoracic lung cancers and related disorders um, and how to make that better. But my drive came actually from my previous uh, role, my other sort of role I do is critical care education. And how I got into this work, I think, is, is um, you know, I did a lot of training, worked really hard, and, and medical training is really long and arduous. And then um, kind of took my first real job in the real world in a smaller hospital. And there I started realizing 
oh my gosh, there's a lot of things that we need to potentially fix as a system. I work with a lot of great clinicians, great physicians, great nursing and everybody, but there were so many pro processes, such a complex problem. And on the horizon was the other piece I got interested in, which was the massive physician shortages. You can't just hire physicians and expect everything to be better. So I started thinking through, well, wait a second. Um, if we're gonna have a massive shortage that's gonna escalate and certain areas are already in crisis. And now that with COVID-19, we've seen that crisis just be magnified with a microscope on it in terms of how many, what shortages we have clinically. How do we build a village around? How do we around physicians and other providers to actually uh, not just do regular care, meet the current needs, but actually make care better. And so that led me down a series of paths and trying to think through how do you work with your teams? How do you buffer the team? How do you create care paradigms? How do you create protocols? How do you make um, the everyday work easier to do um, and better overall? So that the net gain overall is easier on the current workforce, but actually better care on the receiving end. And of course, all of us, our careers evolve, right? So it's not just you start with one formula and you start, you start realizing, you know, you're, you go through as family members are sick, people that are close to you get sick and they watch their journeys go through the healthcare system and realize how many sort of broken parts and fragments we have. And you try to realize that, you know what, I enjoy trying to fix it. And I know these are complex problems, it's not for everybody, but a career in quality is sort of like a career in public health, it's a career in patient care, it's a career in being compassionate, being empathetic to all the issues involved. And so it kind of gets you thinking, here's a couple of problems, there's some things that we know that work, and we're gonna test it. We're gonna test whether they work, if they work and they stick, let's keep working on it, it's getting them better and better. So quality improvement to me is sort of just a compassionate way of extending the work of a physician. No, perfect. And I, I've had a few physicians on the show um, previously that said, you know, have made a very similar connection in terms of, you know, our, our process to test different process improvement experiments and aligning it with the same approach for providing medical care. So I love, you know, the fact that you're even seeing that you've experienced it in your own path and journey. And I guess a, a you know, off script question of sorts, but for that transition to now add in elements of quality process improvement into your already, you know, very strong background in medicine, what were some of the things you've done to develop those additional skills? Um, any areas of courses, certifications, trainings? I, I was checking out your page again and um, it even looks like we may have crossed paths at UNC at a very similar time. Um, I was doing my executive program at the same exact time, funny enough. But um, just any anything that you've done to further develop those those quality skills? Yeah. So a couple of things, obviously, um, train really hard and that process is already pretty rigorous. And then you sort of added to it. I added a scientific training program to that when I was in fellowship. But more importantly, I think the pivot point came when I did my master's in, in health administration uh, through the University of North Carolina School of Public Health. I think that was a very transformative experience for me in terms of understanding the broader healthcare stratosphere and testing it along with other students that were equally passionate and equally geeky about trying to figure out how to make things stick and how to make them work. And they were excited. And I think I just needed that environment to get excited about it. And then of course, the best part was I work in a health system that wants to drive to be better. So I'm really fortunate from that perspective that there's a lot of problems. We looked around, there were so many problems and you realize, wait a second, we can actually fix it. And guess what? We will actually give you help to help fix these things. And so that was a very exciting, exhilarating time early on in my career to kind of understand that there are other people that want this. And so we had some early successes and we also had a lot of failures along the way. And I think kind of getting to your sec the earlier part of your question is, 
if I had to do it over again in a backward lens, I mean, I'm not regretting anything. It's all been an awesome journey. I think one thing I really hope medicine takes away, especially the physician world, is how much if I had to pick one skill set, I think it would be fall on the bucket of leadership, self-leadership, and then the idea of being a team player and trying to move the needle, developing a vision, working with a team that's that's like visioned, not like-minded, but diverse in thought and execution, but like visioned, that wants to operate similarly, but wants to move further. And I think developing your, my own skill sets in that, it's still ongoing. I mean, it's an ongoing lifelong journey, but I think that's one thing that I would encourage young, I tell my mentees to literally focus on is really, you know, take a project on, and then don't just recognize that what your skills to now, to Nate may not have prepared you. You have to recognize that. You may have to go through, get more training, get more understanding. You may be, you know, beat up in a meeting, but take that and learn from it and move forward. And I think that's one thing I don't think I really understood. All right, the, the um, growing pains of a quality person. So um, I, I hear, so my background, I'm an industrial engineer, um, you know, through my, through my bachelor's program. Fantastic, yeah. And I'm, I've heard, I've not validated this, I should probably do my own research, but I, I've heard many medical programs nowadays are uh, incorporating more project management and more industrial engineering knowledge and disciplines into their programs. Um, University of South Florida was the one specifically that I learned some of that info from. So hopefully to your point, that's um, will be more introduction to you know the new wave of physician leaders coming through. Um, Guess well, let me let me ask this question if it's okay to go way off script. Sure. But um, one of the other things, again, just connecting with you very recently and learning, you know, kind of looking at some of your posts and things, um, and you kind of denoted, you know, the turban that you wear was around Sikhism um, and your advocate for that and reducing some of the bias that may come along with that community. I um, would love if you could just share a quick intro to Sikhism um, and, and just kind of educate me personally because I, I'm not in the know, yeah. but wanted to just ask, especially given today's climate with, um, you know, just I, I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, where just last night yeah. we had some of the, the hate crimes that were going on, but just want to give an opportunity to just get a shout out to your, your Sikh community. Oh, no. Thank you for that. So much for that, Jarvis. Yeah. So I'm a Sikh, which is a, uh, a, a Sikhism is a monotheistic religion is born. It's in, born out of the in, India, in, in India and Pakistan border. Um, it was founded in 1469. Um, it's a series by a series of, of sp spiritual guides we call gurus. Um, and the gurus developed a um, very interesting religion. If you look at every guy's chance to look it up, uh, it's spelled S-I-K-H. Um, many of my colleagues are fascinated by it. There's actually it's the, if you lump Christianity into one religion or Islam into one religion, there are more Sikhs in the world. There are over 20 million Sikhs in the world, actually. So that's actually more Sikhs than, uh, than some would say by, in, by, by, than uh, Jews, but most are concentrated in, in India. Okay. Um, so it's a, very, it's a very common religion. It's just in the Western United States and North America, not as common except for certain centers. We believe in one God. We believe in quality of all people, men, women, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter who you are but it just matters that what, what kind of character you have and what you wanna be. And the, 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 as far as race to quality, a Sikh is mean student or disciple, someone who's always learning, who's always realizing that there's a, a level of perfection that you may not get to in your life, but you've got to strive for. Now that That's so encouraging, uh, especially again, just connecting the dots between you know that background and that religious focus and the work that we're doing as quality people. Um, I mean, that, that almost goes hand in hand. That's scary. 
Yeah, it's kind of scary, but it's all good. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, let me let me move you on with our our questions because again, my my goal with these conversations is to really dig into the minds and the career paths with all of our, our impressive guests. So, uh, Jess Paul, I would love to move you to a question that I've been calling the dark place question. So would love if you can take us to a point in your career that you would consider to be your best moment of failure. Share with us the story and the background, um, but definitely share with us the major lessons learned that you took from it. Yeah, I guess there's probably a lot of stories of uh, failures. I think in any person quality improvement, if you look back, a lot of things I didn't do a great job with and I probably have wish I had a do-over. But if you look at every do-over as a teaching point, I think probably my biggest turning point was, well, I think I mentioned the first one, which was a uh, health administration degree. Coming out of that tr- degree, real- realizing that I really didn't know anything. All this physician training, all this extra specialty work, and I really don't understand healthcare at all. You know, I really didn't understand. That was my first aha moment, I think, and kind of deflating, but then kind of exciting, like, oh, let I might as well try to fix it, you know, rather than have everybody else try to fix it. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, right? So kind of move forward and try to work on things. So that was, ex- it was a little bit deflating, but a little bit encouraging in some ways, empowering um, once you accept that. I think the biggest sort of aha moment was when I was passed up for a promotion once. And it was something that I really thought I took to heart. I was like, wait a second, I've done all this body work, put my heart and soul into this whole environment and I'm passed up for a promotion. And you know, it happens to people all the time. It's nothing personal. It's just, this is a business decision. And you have to look back and think, okay, well, why was that? Why was that the case? Was it a failure of my part? Did I do something's wrong? Did the environment different? It's easy to kind of go through or do I have the completely wrong of what I'm trying to aim and achieve, you know? And start and you as a in terms of quality of healthcare, um, I think about my failures, things that I didn't, I wasn't goal directed, I wasn't really just delivering the results that were expected of me, um, that I did not do certain things. On the same token, the, it's not personal. The environment it may not be right for certain types of leaders. Not everybody wants change, and you realize very quickly that when you're asking for change, there's an environment out there that doesn't like change. And so you have to recognize the environment, recognize the person you are. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where do you fit in? Who are your colleagues? Who are your mentors? And it turns out actually, once I came to terms with that a little bit, there was a whole lot of great mentors out there and people that actually do want to see things get better and actually want to support you no matter what it is. And so it was incredibly empowering once that sort of what became a failure ended up being the best thing for me because I realized that very quickly that I need to work on certain things I needed to sort of create an environment which uh, adjust my work a little bit to make sure that the people that I'm reporting to are getting the results I want and then still work on things on the side that I'm passionate, really passionate about. And so those are all good things. And of course, you know, you have to recognize that work is work and there's also a whole life outside of work. Uh, And so trying to, and trying to influence that in different spheres is also very rewarding. So you find that there's a lot of reward out there in a lot of different things. That was my second biggest thing. And then obviously the third thing this last year in critical care and pulmonary has been COVID, obviously. I don't think I ever worked this hard in my life, both clinically and administratively, um, trying to understand and help us, uh, you know, conquer some of the challenges with COVID-19 that are still ongoing. And so but you know what? You have that mindset, you have that resilience, you have those skill sets built up and they come to serve you well. So even though it's been a challenge, I gotta—I have to say that having certain, having developed certain skill sets and attributes up to this point have been served, have served really well. Wonderful. And, you know, you gave us three great examples of, you know, failures, turning them around, um, being more resilient, bouncing back, the, the introspection, even through your, your career move, 
or your, your lack of a career move, I guess, in that story. But, um, you know, I, I guess a few thoughts come to mind. I, I'll kind of start with the last first and, and work my way the other direction. Um, so from a COVID point of view, and um, I, I, again, knowing your background, especially in pulmonary and ICUs, um, you know, I, I had the thought earlier to kind of touch on COVID, but I was like, yeah, everybody's talking about COVID. But I, I guess the question that really comes to mind um, comes down to resiliency. And so I love to ask, I mean, what are some of the things you're doing personally that are just helping you get back in the fight every single day? Because um, I've had a few people that do plug in with the show just kind of, you know, ask me questions about COVID or, or just general resiliency. I'm working with a group next week and we're doing a webinar, a free webinar around resiliency. Um, but just curious, anything special that you've learned or any practices that you are doing that just keep you in that fight on a daily basis? I don't think there's one thing. I mean, people have tried different things. I mean, like I have colleagues and friends that have tried things from meditation to prayer to other things. And I think it's every from, yeah. from, um, it's from, it's from, you know, finding some time to think, finding some time to reflect, finding some time to show gratitude, you know, daily of efforts of making sure that you say grace to everything around you, the things that we are good in our lives. Um, COVID has taught us not to take things for granted, you know, um, that we have that are, that are good. So be trying to be positive no matter how hard things are. Um, and then recognize when things don't go well, actually, be blessed that you were there to witness. Um, there's a lot of things that, I mean, I, I've signed a lot of death certificates this last year, and it's been really hum humbling to watch how many people have died um, and, and are still suffering the effects of COVID. And, but just the fact that even though I couldn't help them medically as much as I wanted to, that's the fact that I was there to listen to them, to talk to them, to care for them. It's yeah. actually, it's a privilege and an honor in some way. So recognizing that there's actually value in that. Um, recognizing that, you know what, sometimes you have to be a little bit selfish and a little bit forgiving of yourself. You can't be everything to everybody at all times. So it's some of that as well. Um, trying to, I carve out time to exercise every day, you know, if not twice a day, just to kind of make sure that, you know, it may not be ideal, but it, it works, you know, for me. Um, and then um, there's always, and then there's always recognize, just be, just be forgiving of yourself. You're going to let things slide in a year like this. It's just been awful for everybody uh, in a lot of different ways, but you're doing the best you can. And so is everybody else. Well, and I'll double down on that because if you could see the background right here, I am literally sitting in my son's bedroom, <laughs> you know, because I have a house full of folks and, you know, my, my office is not my office anymore. Um, so being flexible and just, you know, carrying on, making life happen. Right. Um, so thank you for those thoughts. Uh, tremendous feedback there. Um, one more question around um, specifically with the job opportunity that you weren't able to have um, or take advantage of, you know, you you were clearly reflective on how you approached it after the fact. Um, I'm, I'm curious to learn, do you have any uh, just professional development or personal development processes in place that you may utilize today? Um, and I can ask that, you know, the, the background for me personally, at about the age 27, I came, I had a mentor kind of teach me that on an annual basis, I should come up with different ways to, you know, set goals for myself, set, you know, kind of take steps forward. And I've literally been doing that for, you know, since 27, um, 40 now. And just curious from your experience in that, did you come up with any formal things to, to build and continue developing yourself, your skills, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I think you got I think mentorship is important at every level. And so, on the same token, being a mentor for other people is also real important for other levels. I learn a lot from the cl other classes I teach, from the other people I mentor. Um, I learn a ton about myself as well. And so, and then of course, um, just 
if it's, even if it's not formal, informal relationships, we can't underestimate the importance of those. So both at work and at home and outside, of, outside in our communities and other places. So I think the main thing I've learned is just do the best you can for the right reasons and the good things will come up. And nice. right people will recognize it at some point. It may not be today. It may not be 10 years from now, but at some point, you keep at it and you keep a positive attitude. You keep building your skill sets, keep learning, growing, thriving, and just be positive about it and be happy about the journey. I'm, I gotta say, I'm much happier when I had that mindset frame set, when I had that mindset than I have ever been in my career. All right. Wonderful. I love it. Love that takeaway. Um, let's dig about the dark place and uh, take us to a new, our, our next question. I love if you can give our quality, quality people, our audience, a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works well for building those intimate connections with the teams that you've led. Uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? So lately I've been doing a lot of, um, so I think they, they can vary. So it depends on what your, form, what your sort of connection point is. I think just texting people, just checking in on them is phenomenally cool. You know, I like it when I get a text from a colleague or a friend, say, hey, just checking in, wondering how you're doing, or just say, hey, by the way, rather than text, I just call them on my way home in my car. I'm sitting there rather than listen to a podcast or some music, or I just talk to my family and friends all the time on my phone. It drives my kids crazy sometimes, but I'll, but uh, they want to, you know, listen to their video games or music. And I'll just be like, no, I'm just going to call a friend and just connect with them. And I think and I'm purposely doing that in front of them so that, that way they can see that it's important that people talk um, and people connect, even if it's about stupid stuff. You know, I don't think, I think a lot of, I mean, you're industrial engineering, so we talk, I think it's great about systems. The other part I've been learning a lot about is from organizational psychologists yeah. and thinking about how we actually function as a team and a group and not underestimating that, you know what, guess what, asking about someone's home and how their family's doing is important. Um, it means a lot to them. It may not mean a lot to you. Or may, other day, one of my one of my mentees calls, uh, texted me. He said, "You know, when you complimented me in front of a group meeting and a team meeting, it meant nothing to you. I thought it was no big deal." He's like, "That meant the world to me." So, make sure that empowering people that are that are that I that are reporting to me in some shape or form or meant being mentored by me. And then on nowadays, actually, I make a lot of informal. Re I do a lot of speaking engagements. I bring other people with me. I said, "Come, bring the village. It's not just me. It's the whole team is involved." And so all of you come, and they're like, "Really? You want us all there?" I'm like, "Yeah, you guys all come." You know. And so we have group. We we do group uh, lessons together, which is a lot of fun. All right, perfect. And um, if it's okay, let me let me toss a recommendation. If you're not already familiar with this, but um, it's something that I've recently come across uh, yeah. called Marco Polo. Have you, are you familiar yeah. with that? Tell me about that. All right. So it's an app, um, you know, for your phone. Think of it, think of it almost like if a walkie talkie and FaceTime, you know, had a baby. Yeah. Um, so that's what the app is. You can drop these messages, but it almost kind of acts as a walkie talkie and you drop messages really quick, but it's video. So you can talk and, you know, be seen and be expressive. Um, I use those with a lot of the courses that I do now and some of the associations that I'm involved with. Um, love it. So if you're texting or at least, you know, trying to stay connected with friends, family, Marco Polo is is life. You'll you'll appreciate that one. That's awesome. That's and awesome. Yeah, I guess because it's a podcast, I got to say things like this is not a plug for Marco Polo. Um, <laughs> I actually just wrote it on my, in my phone to, to download Marco Polo. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out. I, I think I, I love it. Everybody that I tell about it ends up falling in love as well. So yeah. Want to move you to my next question. I, I love if you could now share one of your best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But again, you know, walk us through the moment 
and share with us how did the idea strike you, but most importantly, if you're able to turn it into a personal or professional success. Yeah. So I think I think one of my earliest ones that just was an aha moment was um, we I was um, it's kind of a two parter because the first part was in where I trained, um, I tried to sort of start this sort of telemedicine service for critical care uh, where I trained and and I was told you know what, we don't practice that way. We don't, this is 2000, this is 2006, you know, this is a long time ago when virtual medicine was still very new to a lot of physicians. And I said, well, I think there's a future here. You know, I think the application here. And so virtual critical care was kind of what we're trying to do. And then I was told, well, you know what, not, we don't practice like that. That's not real medicine, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Cause it seems like there's something to it. I think I've researched it. I think I know it pretty well. Let's do it. So then I spent my my master's of health administration degree, trying to understand the workforce crisis in critical care predominantly. And then as I did that, um, the, the thesis work was around a critical care for a health, large health system where I'm currently working. And I was told, you know what, by when I went to um, stand up my, 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 uh, my, 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 my master's thesis, defend it, my position, the, um, it was well-researched, got a, honors marks, but the my professor said, you know what, this is too complex. You can't do it. Well, two years later, we broke ground. So it was pretty cool that, aha, uh-huh, that if you commit, commit to it, you can, you can do it. But my other big aha, mo- so that was pretty cool. But the other big aha moment was I was also trying to lead our sleep services into a, a newer form of called home sleep testing, which is pretty ubiquitous now, you know, uh, home sleep apnea testing is very common. And so, um, but what was great was I had an administrative partner who was so good, you know, and, and if, as a physician, you're oftentimes in this battleground of, you know, you think you tend to think there's like a battle between the administrative side and the physician side. And there's a sort of like this artificial turf battle, you might say, for influence and power, you know, who's calling the shots. But my administrative par- partner and I were we were in sync and we said this is, makes sense. And we developed one of the largest systems in the country within a matter of a year or two. And you're like, that is pretty cool to the point where we actually had other people, other academic leaders sweating this out. And here we were with a small operation and we thought we were growing pretty fast and we're like, this is pretty awesome. So it's with the aha moment being with the administrative buy-in and leadership and a physician partnership, you can accomplish a lot. And in a relatively short amount of time. Well, and it, it, that point that you just drove home there also takes me back to how you opened the show with, you know, it takes a diverse group of leaders that are going to come together and push these ideas. Um, So I love that takeaway. I'm glad you had the right partner on board. So coming up with innovative thoughts and, you know, getting feedback like this is not real medicine. Um, So the the message that I took home from that is the haters are going to hate and you still have to keep pushing. Um, I want to explore that just a little bit. Um, We we didn't talk about the fact that innovation is a part of your your title. Mm -hmm. What are some thoughts or approaches? Uh, I guess just big picture question here, but teach us something about innovation. What's, how does innovation and quality improvement really start to connect in your head? Yeah, I think a lot of innovation, that's a great question. That's obviously a very loaded question. You probably do a whole, whole podcast on that. I know, right? <laughs> itself, obviously, our whole series on that. But in a nutshell, I think some of, some of innovation is not so, not so exciting. It's not very sexy. It's just basically doing something a little bit better with more intentional 
ideas and analytics behind it. And so it may not, the innovation here may not be this, you know, incredibly new device or new technology or something else like that. Maybe just a small adjustment in how we do our daily work, but you still have to, it's still innovative in a sense of that. It's not how we used to do things. Mm -hmm. It's not how we've always done it. So anything we, so we, when we say we've not done it that way before, or it's not what we're used to doing, that's innovation in my book. Yeah. Now it could be, I'm also involved in innovation for like, for example, robotic bronchoscopy, we're bringing that to our health system now. How does that piece of device fit into the usual work? So now you have a new device fitting into usual business and how does that work? How does that make that happen? And so innovation, so you're gonna have to do things like plan, develop a, develop a plan, develop, a, develop, study it, and then act on, the, on those data, on, those, on that data results. So that's, you know, PDSA number one, you know, you know, so plan, do, study, and act. And so this quality improvement is embedded in innovation and they go hand in hand. Perfect. Could not have tried to explain it any better. I love it. Um, the the simple um, you know definition of innovation, as I've learned it through my experience with Baldridge, um, is is innovation is not always new, but is new to you, and that I think aligns very much with you know how you shared it too. So um, perfect. I love it. Next question I have for you: um, Would love if you could share with us some of the current changes that are taking place across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about. Um, tell us what it is, but what role specifically do you see quality professionals playing to promote it or support its longevity? Well, I think there's a lot, there's so many spaces. I think when I think about um, telemedicine, I think we just mentioned earlier, I think telemedicine will have a role going forward. Now the country's sort of, a lot of the country's experience telemedicine, it's got its issues. But sort of how does that fit into the daily care? How does that fit into the daily operations? How does that affect patient satisfaction scores? How does that affect the ability to affect disparities, for example, in healthcare? We started to think about, so quality professionals are perfectly poised to understand, all right, what information do we have? What information do we want out of this innovation, out of this change in practice? And how do we get to where we are achieving our overarch, what's our, our true north? And let's align those things together. And let's sit down and have a conversation, multiple conversations. Let's create a template of how to approach this. So I think telemedicine, I think, is a perfect example. I'm involved in that. Um, other, other new exciting things, innovative technologies, like I mentioned robotics, but any minimally invasive surgical or quasi-surgical approach is going minimally invasive. So how does that affect all the different pieces that you need to make that happen? And so thinking through that, how it affects clinical care, a practice overall, patient risks, and all those aspects all come to line. So quality professionals are poised to understand what is our true north? You know, if they get that directive, then to say, what are the information we, pieces we need or have, and how do we get them to make sure that we are marching towards our true north in, a, in, a, in, a, in an effective manner? All right, wonderful. And I'm just curious, I mean, with any of those, with any of those thoughts or ideas, um, what are some best ways, and maybe this kind of rolls into my next question a little bit as well, but what are some of the best ways that quality professionals maybe even to plug in? Um, because I, I'm, I'm just thinking, especially with your first thought around telemedicine, for the years that I've been in healthcare, I, I came into healthcare in 2007, and to this day, I've not connected with anything related to telemedicine, um, other than, you know, very specifically maybe looking for organizations that are doing it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where I would start. So I'm curious, you know, whether it's a, a quality or a quality improvement leader that's already within a health system or someone like me who just left corporate and, and am now giving back as a coach and consultant for QI work, um, where could we even start to plug in or learn? Like, how do we, how do we plug in with some of these opportunities? Um, just throwing that out there. I know I'm hitting you with all the big questions today, but 
No, it's all good. I mean, I think, I think just ask, ask people. I mean, I think you're doing the right thing, but you're asking, how do I get involved? So right. if I think of a coach, I mean, I'm thinking of how many physicians I have that guess what? Um, and they're on our teams. They're great physicians at the bedside, but guess what? Behind the camera, they need some website manner training. You know, they could use some understanding of what the technical issues that kind of that kind of come in through a camera, for example, or how they communicate. Do they're communicating effectively? You know, if they have someone on the other opposite end who has a hearing issue, for example, how do you communicate effectively? Coaches can help us decide that. You know, right. if you're thinking about quality work, if you were interested in data aspect, well, what data comes through a virtual visit? You know, it may not be the same things you might get in, in a in a face-to-face uh, -face visit. For example, patient someone in the office, you'll check their blood pressure, you'll check their heart rate. You may not have that information. So now what are you checking to make sure that you have a, so that data may come from a different point, like a device wearable, for example, you know, or go to the CVS store or in Walgreens and check their blood pressure, you know? So the, can you get that data in there? Or how do you extract, how, where, try to help us solve those problems. So I think quality people can work, quali people in quality improvement can work in any space. It's just not been well-defined. So you have to go do the grassroots efforts of finding out, investigating, understand. Because if your goal is to improve patient care or the journey or the operations or the business part of it, then there's questions all abound. No, I love that that response, Jespal. And I guess, you know, to officially throw out my next question as well, um, what are some things that the healthcare industry would also need to do to become a more attractive place for quality professionals to jump in, to start and or grow their careers? Well, I think it's already a it's an exciting place for people. I think that healthcare is just so sometimes very complicated and it's not a very familiar environment. So I guess my, my advice to quality people is actually spend time at the bedside, see what the patients go through. You know, if you understand the patient journeys a little bit better, I think you'll understand the work better. I think sometimes I think our we tend to, especially with COVID, it's forced a lot of people working from home. So you don't have that sort of lens as readily accessible, but spend time sort of seeing what the, what's happening to the patients. You know, we started in, in, our, in our medical school um, uh, training, uh, we had sort of, we had to follow along patients through the ambulances, patients through various parts of the touch points and the rehabilitations and even home visits. And it gives you a very different lens of what patients are going through. And so you start seeing that and then there, the questions will come to light. And that becomes the, makes the work personal, makes the work real. Otherwise, it's just sitting on a spreadsheet or in a PowerPoint presentation and becomes a, becomes very personal. Once it becomes personal, I think the work drives itself. Yeah. When I, I shared a lot of my story, you know, over the many podcast episodes we've had, but um, for me, I came from electric utilities. So um, started my career at Duke Hospital specifically, but was working at Duke uh, Power for a period of time in Florida Power and Light, as I'm originally from Florida. So for me, coming into healthcare as an engineer with a very, very technical background as an engineer, um, I was fortunate. I had a mentor that literally made me put on scrubs and go, you know, just hang out in the units and in the hospital for the first two months. Yeah. Wasn't allowed to really touch projects or, you know, data, the things that I do as an engineer. Um, he just wanted me to learn the hospital, learn the people, learn the patients, as you mentioned. So um, I was fortunate. I don't know if that happens to a lot of us, especially those coming outside in, but very fortunate from that, that point of view. No, thank you for that. That's the thing. It's, that's a wonderful opportunity that, that, that you received. It's a great education. Absolutely. Well, it was new to me. I never would have guessed I'd be in healthcare, but you know, here I am all these years later. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's great. Great to have you. Awesome. Uh, well, let me move you uh, into a part of the show that I call the two-minute drills, kind of my take on a uh, rapid-fire Q&A. 
but I always love to check with our guests to make sure you guys are ready to roll. So Gaspel, how are you feeling so far? Feeling good. All right, perfect. So first question I have for you is something of a two-parter. Uh, well, first, love to have you share with our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Well, I love bringing some of the best technologies and innovations to patients suffering from lung cancer. It's so much fun to like be able to sort of tell them that we, we have a lot of things going on. And so how do I inspire others? Honestly, I just get excited. If I'm excited, the team feeds on it. If I realize something's important that everybody else is like, oh, okay, you're asking us to do more. All right. We're not going to get paid more. We're not going to get adjustment <laughs> in our job. We're not going to get any kind of a direct incentive. But if you're excited, you think it's important, we trust you. You know what? You're excited. It shows and everybody feeds off of it, including the patients themselves. They feel comfortable. They feel safe. They feel cared for. And that's important. All right, wonderful. I love it. And what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I think the best piece of it, career advice is to not take setbacks personally, but to actually look at them as learning opportunities and just be the best you can and be of value. Don't worry about position, salary, everything else will sort itself out, but be of value and strive to be that person. Wonderful. And Jaspel, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Um, I think, I'm not sure I could trade jobs with anybody, to be honest with you. I just love what I do. But I guess if I had to trade with somebody, it would probably be someone over human resources. Because I think human resources, I don't think I realized, I think when I was a physician being trained, human resources where you got called if you're in trouble. But now that I realize, I think HR has a lot of really cool things that they do um, in terms of how to understand people. And in our current environment of diversity and other things like that, I wouldn't mind working on human resources. Perfect. And that I have to be honest, that is such a setup question where a bunch of guests say they can't trade jobs because they love what they're doing. And some guests, you know, actually throw something out. So I was curious which way you're going to go with that. So uh, great answer. Both of those are totally acceptable. Thank you. <laughs> uh, would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. Um, I think the most important thing is getting people outside of the immediate team involved. I think I run some informal committees where it's just random people want to be involved. And sometimes the most, the best talent is not where you would expect it to find it. Wonderful. I love it. And again, it kind of goes back to that diverse mix of skills, diverse mix of talents that you can bring in on teams. So love, love that mindset. Um, would love to learn a go-to website or a go-to mobile application that you use for executing on the work that you lead. I love the Harvard Business Review. I read a lot of journals for medicine, but I think the Harvard Business Review, both mobile app as well as the uh, website, I use it for everything, even teaching my religious school classes, because I think it has a lot of great authors and bite-sized information of practical to everybody. Wonderful. Now, I'm trying to go through my memory. I think that might be the first shout out to the Harvard Business Review on the podcast. So okay, cool. good, good, good job. That's a good one. Um, great just way off and there's other people out there that are doing <laughs> things better than I am, which is possible too. No, not at all. I, I plug in with it as well. I, I love their, their short emails that they send and, you know, it's the three minute, seven minute read sometimes. So um, great resource. Um, just, I was curious. I was like, that one hasn't come up yet. Um, next question I have for you. I'd love if you could share with our quality people a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add. I think a professional conference that would be a value add is where quality people, where the qual for the quality team to actually do simulation more with patient, with real patients or simulated patients or some type of high fidelity simulation environment. 
Wonderful. Together man. with the clinicians and patient yeah. advocacy groups. I can imagine everyone sitting around a bunch of mannequins in different rooms and being a, a conference where it's not about just sitting behind a PowerPoint or behind your computer screen, but actually sitting there thinking, okay, let's solve this problem. This patient's sitting in this issue right now. Let's make it let's break up into teams and figure out how to make the care better what this patient's going through. Awesome. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And I actually know a couple of really good simulation experts here in Atlanta. I might um, plant that idea or at least maybe get them connected for if you guys want to push that vision, that, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Count me in. Happy. That'd be so much fun. All right. Wonderful. I love it. Um, love to hear a book recommendation that our quality people should plug in with. Um, books, I would say the book that I like, I still go back to um, Simon Sinek's book, Find Your Why. You know, it's the, obviously come in different forms, but the, I still use the workbook for a lot of my students and other mentees to because I think we don't really ask that question, especially as a physician, you're kind of given this very long road with scripted education curriculum for you. And you may sort of make choices along the way, like which discipline you go into, but you don't really no, you don't really stop and ask, what is your, what is your why? What is, why are we doing what you're doing? If you're going to do it that way, why are we doing it? And how do we do it better? You know, and I think that's one thing that I go back to it a little bit, a fair amount. The other book, I will say a second one, I sort of think I've become of the mindset that physician curriculums are flawed, not with not enough leader, self-leadership and leadership skills taught, because whether you like it or not, you need to be a leader and you may not be comfortable in a leadership role, um, but you almost have to be in healthcare today to make a real difference to the team. And so I do like this book called Developing Physician Leaders. And I forgot who the author is, but I, I give I gift it once in a while to my, my friends. Wonderful. Um, not familiar with that book, but I personally will double down on what you said there. Um, I think in my experiences, everyone almost always looks to the physician for validation, for leadership vision or anything else. Um, and I've been in scenarios where they've provided it. They've stepped up to the plate, hit home runs every time. And I've been in, you know, positions where they didn't. So, um, so I, I love that thought, that recommendation just personally resonates for me, um, being a non-physician. So thank you. Um, very last question that I have for you, but would love to now get you to reflect on your past while also looking forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text to yourself 10 years into the past and one text to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? The one for me in the past would be take time to enjoy the ride. You know, there's a lot of stress, a lot of hard work. And I think sometimes in medical training and on such, it's so stressful that you sometimes forget that life is happening outside the world, outside your world. You just need to take time and just enjoy parts of life, you yes. know? And I think that's pretty common. And the person looking back said, you know what? Stop and just, I would say, you've had a lot of fun and a lot of success. And I hope you got to enjoy it. You know, because I think sometimes in the quality world, you're so focused on making things better. You sometimes forget like how much you did. Like you look back and like stop and take stock and reflect and like, hey, we did that. And if you don't stop and do that once in a while, you like you it can be easy. It can be so pervasive a mindset to, that you're always failing. You're not succeeding. You're not getting to where you're going to go. But if you look back to how far you've climbed, it's actually fairly formidable most of the times. And that's true for most of us. I think we don't we don't give ourselves time and grace and enough grace and credit to realize how far we've come. Perfect. No, I, I appreciate both of those. I, I can reflect personally on what both of those messages mean to me. So really appreciate um, really appreciate those messages more. So I appreciate the time, um, the knowledge share um, to learn more about 
you, your path, all of the wonderful advice that you shared on this podcast and in this discussion today. Um, Dr. Singh, I'd love for you to end the show today, giving our quality people that final piece of advice and sharing with us the best way to follow and connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter now. I'm trying to use Twitter a lot more recently. Um, still learning how to do it. And then, of course, I'm a, we're connecting with family and friends on Facebook. But more importantly, um, I think the uh, take-home message is just enjoy the ride and keep growing, keep learning. And I think that's true for all of us and that it doesn't end and it shouldn't end. I think that's where our lifelong journey is. And I think we should enjoy it and take it for what it, and, and be grateful that we had that opportunity. Perfect. I thank you for that. And um, again, just to double down on what you said there, um, I can personally attest that you do connect on LinkedIn and you respond super, super quick. So um, thank you again for, for that thought, for today's conversation uh, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Jess Powell, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.